Hi guys, it's your girl Avanti here. Welcome to the third episode of our podcast, Thrive Unapologetically. I am so happy to have you here. And if you've read the title of this episode, it is on reading. Reading is a comfort topic of mine, but it's something I'm so passionate about at the same time. Like I just need to get this out there. And our co-host Pranav will not be joining us today, partly because he's traveling, partly because I need to do justice to this topic and I need to get everyone to start reading. Like it's it's just a personal thing at this point. So before that, let's get into our weekly highs and lows of the week. And before that, I want to tell you guys something I've been absolutely loving about this. And it's that I noticed that this week when I've been, you know, going through these intense moments, whether I'm just super happy or not feeling the best. And, you know, I'm just taking everything and, you know, I'm feeling everything. And then I remember, oh, I need to remember this to say it on the podcast. You know, maybe I can tell it to you guys. And just even though it's not exactly the best motive, I find that just, you know, standing still and just taking everything in, in that moment makes it so much more special. Like I'm able to feel everything from the heart, like inside out in those moments. And I'll be telling you these moments right now. And one of them was my highest this week, which (laughs) I shouldn't be laughing about this. And it is that when I was applying to move into college, is that my happiest moments were literally being able to shop for all the things that I needed. Like I am an insane shopaholic. So just, you know, going on this massive shopping splurge and buying like everything. Yeah, that was like more, you know, fulfilling to me than all the actual, you know, getting into college stuff. So that was my high this week. I was able to do so much shopping. And my low of the week actually has a little bit of a story. I have a little bit of a story to tell you guys. And it said, I'm a part of this thing called Bangalore Skaters. So basically, if you're in Bangalore, you definitely know Cabin Park. And if you don't know, every Sunday, a bunch of skaters, whether it be skateboarders or rollerbladers, waveboarders, I mean, any contraption that has wheels at this point, like, guys, come join us. We meet every Sunday and we just, you know, skate around, cruise, take videos, have fun, learn new tricks, teach each other's new things. There are instructors that come there. So if you're a rookie, if you're a beginner, if, you know, if parents want to send their kids over there, it's such a, you know, people friendly place. And there's a dog park there. So occasionally you'll have dogs, you know, roaming around and it's just the most amazing place ever to me. And ever since I found the place on Instagram and ever since I started going, and you know, I absolutely fell in love with the place and the people. I've been going there regularly, every Sunday. I wait every week, every week for Sunday just to go there. And because I'll be moving to college soon, this is actually my last week there. And I actually really, really gonna miss it. So that was my low of this week. And again, like how I did right now, I expect you guys at this point to just take a moment maybe even pause this episode and just you know introspect retrospect on your highs and lows of the week before we get into this very interesting topic for today okay now for the reason why i'm doing all this like let me tell you about something that genuinely frustrates me like like that's so frustrating like, I do not get the concept of why people 
refuse to read like i don't know there's nothing in the world that you could tell me that would be that would get me to agree and say that it's okay like imagine like suppose you and your friends are like unable to solve this really difficult question and like suppose you find like the answer to all your solutions like right in front of you or like right at the flip of a page or something and like all your friends are like no nah, we don't want it like imagine how frustrating that be'll be like guys the answer to all your problems is right in front of you why do you refuse to read it and like why do you prefer to be like you know in the same space that you were before like why do you not want the answer why do you not want to get better and it's kind of the same thing with reading like when you have this whole reserve of knowledge and literature and and good literature that too like right at your disposal like right at your fingertips like why do you not want it like like i can't and like guys i have like one reader friend and like i have friends who like i've given them books and like they've not read it <laughs> so like i don't know so many people have not even given back the books but they're not reading it either so i don't know what to do about that and and i think it's a fact like it's genuinely a fact that all successful people dedicate a certain portion of their day to reading if you see any motivational speaker speech or if you read any book on successful people you will know this for a fact or even if you see any jim quick speeches he says that you know if knowledge is power then learning is a superpower and in my opinion learning can only come from two things which are people and books and where do most people get the learning from primarily books so yeah and as emma chamberlain loves to say hot people read and i totally agree with that and do you know it's like jim that jim ron quote which says that reading is necessary for those who seek to rise above the ordinary but is that really entirely true because there are people and when he says and when he says rise above the ordinary it kind of makes sense but it kind of doesn't because having access to reading today is a very normal thing you have you have paperback you have you know hardcover you have audiobooks and these days you don't even need to read the whole book to get you know the information out of it you have so many you know videos or like blogs which just summarize the book in a few paragraphs or just give you the most important points out of it or you know what they learn from it and guys i actually challenge you i'll put it on my story and if you don't follow me i'll i'll put my insta id in the share notes i dare you to just pick a book maybe i'll send you a reading list like read a book and stick to it see it through the whole way through there is nothing bad you can get out of reading you can only only get good things and i think i said this in one of our last podcasts somewhere out there in the world is a book waiting to be read by you somewhere is your book and i also want to hint upon this topic like you know obviously if i'm such a passionate reader there must have been some books that were the cause for this my first book which i can like you know genuinely call my book which made me fall in love with reading 
was a book my mom got me at the scholastic fair outside the ptm when i scored good on my finals or something it's this twin book called stars by sophia bennett and it was just such a beautiful book like it was such a simple topic but it was so beautifully written that i read it again and again not for the plot but for the way it was written and i find myself doing this with a lot of books and which is what improved my literature my grammar my writing and my english marks over you know in the long run that i that if i find a really good book sometimes i read it for the plot but a lot of times i'm reading it for the way it was written and the use of vocabulary the use of words the way words have been perfectly placed where they should be and that's not a bad thing that's a great thing in my opinion and going back to it i'll put it maybe in the show notes at there's there's literally there's literally a genre for everyone there's classics there's horror sci-fi fiction women's fiction i love women's fiction so much such a feminist thing and when i say women's fiction i don't mean it's not for guys it's just simply written by women portraying strong complicated women and i'm going to talk about one of those books today and there's also poetry and i don't want you guys to think that when i say reading i only mean self help books guys for 17 years of my life i have like only been reading like you know hunger games and agatha christie and divergent series and you know those kind of books my first self help book is a book my mom made me read in i think the 7th grade which is the secret and i think most people today have read the secret book and as everyone says that book has changed their lives and i mean it's a great book but at that age it wasn't really the kind of book that resonated with me and and i still don't resonate that much i i mean as much as i would like to with self help books and i think just as hard as it is to get into reading it also is to change your style of reading like all these years i've been reading all these you know tween books and i kind of told myself as i was approaching 17 18 that i need to change my style of reading i was telling myself to you know keep up with the phase that i am in which is that i want to grow and be a very successful person and i felt to do that i need to read all these all these you know books on successful people and successful habits and that is true but i feel i was a little bit too harsh on myself I, every single book i bought from blossoms book house this week when i went there was all self help i didn't even allow myself a single fiction book as leverage and so i'm slowly taking a liking to self help books self help books are just one realization after the other and it has its own fun is what i like to believe and then there was the book that i would like to talk about that really rocked my world that really made me like desperately in love with reading which was an agatha christie book which is and then they were none i think it was one of my first agatha christie books and it's actually one of the books that inspired me to like start my own like you know like after reading that book i actually started thinking that i would like my own murder mystery book i would like to write my own book and i'm actually in the process of writing a book right now so maybe if it comes out you guys will be able to read it one day 
and it is a murder mystery book murder mystery is my favorite genre agatha christie is my favorite artist artist i mean author and oh my god she's just perfect in every single way and as you're talking about it you know as i say today a reader tomorrow a leader reading is the most incredible thing in my opinion and i am here to show you why today we i'm going to be introducing you to the three books that you need to read in 2022 2022 is not over you still have a few months left you have about what five months left tomorrow is the starting of august you have exactly five months left to make your year amazing and you don't need a new year's resolution to start reading you can start reading in the middle of the week it doesn't have to be a monday it doesn't have to be the start of a new month you can start reading you can start a good habit anytime that's one of the things i've learned which is so so important like stop procrastinating it to tomorrow you can you can even start reading in the middle of the day in the afternoon just randomly but as long as you start you you're making progress so one of the books i I'm going to talk about today is a book called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. This is a book that once I read it, I like I think I recommended it to almost every person I talked to after that. I recommended it to my mom, to our co-host Pranav, and I made him read it. I forced him to read it. And it is such a beautiful beautiful book in every aspect. Like I can genuinely say that the books, the excerpts I'm going to read to you today genuinely changed me like and i have like been applying this to my little real life situations and i'll be giving you more examples of this but for now let's get back to untamed i read this partially as an ebook and partially as an audiobook while i've been going on walks so whatever was convenient for me you know so i'm going to read you the first excerpt from this book and might i say glennon doyle is a beautiful author and beautiful at speeches too you can go look up her tedx speeches on youtube and you will fall in love with her like oh my god what a fascinating woman so the first excerpt goes as i sat on my bedroom carpet cross legged looking directly into my own eyes in that mirror it's important to take a good look at yourself every once in a while Not the way you look at yourself while you're getting dressed or putting on makeup. Not the way you look at your thighs or sunspots or chin hairs. Not that way. I mean, you need to look dead into your own eyes, at your real self. You need to make sure there are no lies there. You need to make sure the eyes in the mirror are the eyes of a woman you respect. And this book is a kind of autobiography of Glennon Doyle's life, of her life. and kind of what she's learned through it and these are the kind of books that i love best that you're showing me you know the deep dark tales of someone's life but i'm not just reading it i'm learning something from it and this is such a beautiful paragraph about it moving on to the next one the second paragraph is just to give you a little bit of context where glennon goes to a friend of hers for advice on some issues going on in a family and her friend is saying okay glennon i see what's happening so basically your family is together on an airplane right now just imagine glennon is the flight attendant her kids are the passengers and the plane has just hit some serious turbulence and the airplane is bouncing and glennon says yes that sounds about right 
and then her friend says okay what do passengers do when turbulence hits the plane they look at the flight attendant and if the flight attendant is panicky the passengers will panic if the flight attendants are calm and steady the passengers will feel safe and follow suit so basically the friend is trying to tell glennon that you've been flying and living long enough to know that while turbulence feels scary turbulence will not take the plane down turbulence isn't deadly like how turbulence to a plane isn't deadly turbulence in your life isn't deadly either even though it may feel like it humans we everyone survive these things and then the friend is telling glennon that even though the kids don't even though her kids don't know it yet they are afraid and that's why they're looking towards their mother for information and it's her job to stay calm and smile at them and keep serving the peanuts <laughs> if you get the joke but she was talking to another friend and she also writes this in the book that turbulence doesn't take the planes down but planes do crash and that's what we all fear we all fear the planes crashing and then she also writes that yeah turbulence doesn't take planes down but planes do crash but what if the thing that's shaking your family's plane is real what if your family actually is going down so here we're basically talking about the confusion around do i deal with this problem like is it a problem i should be so serious with am i being really uptight about something and then again it's just such a beautiful metaphor on life itself like it, it's great i love this and you know it raises a little laugh in the end too and here i think what i'm going to read to you is i think my most favorite page in the entire book and like i might even want to like live my life by this like it's so good okay it says Yog Lennon Doyle is saying that I have been raising my daughters to be feminists since they were in utero. I knew the world's training would begin the second they were born and I wanted them to be ready. Ready meant having an internal narrative about what it means to be a woman that they could weigh against the world. I did not have the alternate narrative as a child. So when the world told me that a real girl is small, quiet, pretty, accommodating and pleasant, I believed that this was the truth. I breathed in those lies and they made me very sick. Children are either taught by adults to see their lives as cages and resist them or they are trained to buy a culture and surrender to them. Girls born into a patriarchal society become either shrewd or sick. It's one of them. I wanted my girls to know this. You are a human being and your birthright is to remain fully human. So you get to be everything. Loud, quiet, bold, smart, careful impulsive creative joyful big angry curious ravenous and ambitious you are allowed to take up space on this earth with your feelings your ideas and your body you do not need to shrink you do not need to hide any part of yourself ever it's a lifelong battle for a woman to stay whole and free in a world so hell bent on caging her I wanted to give my girls whatever they need to fight for their full humanity. Truth is the only weapon that can beat the pervasive lies the world will tell them. So I'd place headphones over my watermelon belly at night and play audiobooks about brave, complicated women. 
After they were born, I had rocked my daughters to sleep with stories about women who had broken out of their culture's cages to live free and offer their gifts to the world. As they grew, we'd go for walks and guess the careers of women passing by. I bet she's an engineer, a CEO, an Olympic athlete. When another mother jokingly mentioned my daughter's bossiness, I'd say, isn't it great? She's a leader. When my girls lost a game and became furious, I'd say, it's okay to be angry. And when they started school and began to consider demeaning and shrinking themselves, I'd say, keep raising your hand, honey. You can be your bold, brilliant self out there in the world. You can be sure of yourself and still be a girl. How lovely. And then she also talks about how in this book, what I feel is so important about, it's not only about girls, you know, Feminist mothers, feminist parents may raise their girls to think that they are as strong as they need to be in the world, that they can break outside the cages that the world puts on them. But what about boys? Do feminist parents say the same things to their boys? Boys are trapped in the same cages that women are. And I think this is something that people do not know about. That just as men Onto our next favorite, absolute favorite paragraph on mine. This is called Girl Gods, the chapter name. Glennon, you refer to God as she. Why do you believe that God is a female? I don't, she says. I think it's ridiculous to think of God as anything that could be possibly gendered. But as long as the expression of God as female is unimaginable to many, while the expression of God as male feels perfectly acceptable, and as long as women continue to be undervalued and abused and controlled here on earth, I will keep using it. That was stunning. My God. The next excerpt states, written by her, it's beautiful guys listen up there are wild mysterious forces inside and between human beings that we have never been able to understand forces like faith forces like love like sexuality we are uncomfortable with our inability to comprehend or control these mysteries so we took wild faith the mysterious undefinable ever-shifting flow between humans and the divine and we packaged it into religion we took wild sexuality, the mysterious, undefinable, ever-shifting flow between human beings and we packaged it into identities. It's like water in a glass. Faith is water, religion is a glass. Sexuality is water, sexual identity is a glass. We created these glasses to try and contain uncontainable forces. Then we say to people, pick a glass, straight or gay. And by the way, choosing the gay glass will likely leave you unprotected by the law, ostracized by your community and banished by God. But again, choose wisely. So folks poured their wide, juicy selves into these narrow, arbitrary glasses because that was what was expected. Many lived lives of quiet desperation, slowly suffocating as they held their breath to fit inside. Ooh. It's really, when you read it with such a passion, it really hits you somewhere hard. This was a few paragraphs, just a few, might I say. Paragraphs from the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I really encourage you to read it. You can reach out to me. I will gladly send you the PDF of the book. Maybe I'll even post it on my show notes, on my Instagram. 
Now on to our second book. A very book, I mean a book which became very famous in 2022, Atomic Habits. I read this, I mean I heard it as an audiobook. And then after hearing this book on day 1, I I used to hear it. So this book Atomic Habits is something I listen to as an audiobook when I used to go for my daily walks. After hearing the fir- after hearing it the first day, I went on walks after that just so that I could keep listening to the audiobooks of this, you know, incredible book because I was so, you know, fascinated like wow, this book is genius. It's like genius genius. Like everyone needs to know about this. I again recommended this book. All the best books I recommend to everyone because I feel like good things need to be shared. So the first paragraph of the book is about the fate of the British Cycling Association. So basically, in the past 100 years no British cyclist has ever won the Tour de France, one of the biggest cycling events, and the British riders had won just a single gold medal in the Olympic Games. Basically, they were faring very badly. So this paragraph is about them. So, in fact, the performance of British riders had been so underwhelming that one of the top bike manufacturers in Europe refused to sell bikes to the team because they were afraid that it would hurt sales if other professionals saw the Britons using their gear. Then a new coach, Bralisford, had been hired to put British cycling on a new trajectory. Okay guys, listen up. This is important. What made him different from previous coaches was his relentless commitment to a strategy that he referred to as the aggregation of marginal gains which was the philosophy of searching for a tiny margin of improvement in everything you do. He said the whole principle came from the idea that if you broke down everything you could think of that goes into riding a bike and then improve it by 1%, you will get a significant increase when you put them all together. So basically he made these small adjustments that you know here and there redesigning this getting a better grip on tires maintaining ideal muscle temperature etc and basically when he was done with his training of tiny tiny improvements in the next olympic games the britons won 60% of all the gold medals 4 years later the britons thwarted the olympic games same year um during a 10 year span british cyclists won 178 world championships and was widely regarded as one of the most successful runs in cycling history how did this happen how did a team of previously ordinary athletes transform into world champions with tiny changes that at first glance would seem like a modest difference at best Why do small improvements accumulate to make such remarkable results and how can you replicate this approach in your whole life? As the book states, atomic habits. The effects of small habits compound over time. For example, if you can get just 1% better each day, you will end up with results that are nearly 37 times better after 1 year. Habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. The same way that money multiplies through compound interest, the effects of your habits multiply as you repeat them. 
they seem to make little difference on any given day and yet the impact they deliver over months and years can be enormous it is only when looking back to 5 or perhaps even 10 years that the value of good habits and the cost of bad ones become strikingly apparent success is the product of daily habits not once in a lifetime transformation that said it doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you are now what matters is whether your habits are putting you on the path towards success you should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than with your current results if you're a millionaire but you spend more than you earn each month you're on a bad trajectory if your spending habits don't change you're going to end broke Conversely, if you're broke but you save a little bit every month, then you're on the path towards financial freedom, even if you're moving slower than you like. On the topic of finances, our next book, Psychology of Money, is coming up soon, so stay tuned. Your outcomes are a lagging measure of your habits. Your net worth is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning habits. Your clutter is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. You get what you repeat. So basically, habits are a double-edged sword. Bad habits can cut you down just as easily as good habits can build you up, which is why understanding the details is crucial. You need to know how habits work and how to design them to your liking so that you can avoid the dangerous half of the blade. Next, he writes about the four things about atomic habits about getting these habits. that we need to realize number 1 winners and losers have the same goal every like every olympian wants to win a gold medal every candidate wants to get the job and if successful and unsuccessful people share the same goals then the goal cannot be what differentiates the winners from the losers right the goal has always been there it was only when they implemented a system of continuous small improvements that they achieved a different outcome number 2 achieving a goal is a momentary change achieving a goal only changes your life for a moment that's the counterintuitive thing about improvement for example once you win a race and that was your goal winning the race you're not going to run anymore so it's not a long term thing moving on to point number 3 God's goals are at odds with long-term processing. Many runners work hard for months, but as soon as they cross the finish line, they stop training. The goal is no longer there to motivate them. When all your hard work is focused on a particular goal, what is left to push you forward after you achieve it? Number 4. Goals restrict your happiness. The implicit assumption behind any goal is that once I reach my goal, then I'll be happy. Guys, this is like so true. Like you put it in any real life scenario. You say, "Once I get these marks, I'll be happy. Once I reach this weight, I'll be happy." But you need to enjoy the process and look beyond these superficial things. Like don't look at like, "Oh, I'll be happy when I reach this weight." Think about how happy you'll be when you get that healthy body and how happy you'll be when you're exercising so much. and you don't think about like oh i'll i'll only be happy when i get when i rank first in my class think about the knowledge you're gaining the work ethic you're gaining you know and you know such and then the last thing i will be reading from this book the four laws of behavior change one make it obvious 
टू मेक इट अट्रैक्टिव थ्री मेक इट ईजी फोर मेक इट सेटिस्फाइंग सो बेसिकली ही सेंग दीज आर द फोर लॉज टू मेकिंग अ हैबिट विच ही गिवस एग्जाम्पल्स थ्रू द बुक थ्रू आउट दिस बुक इज फुल ऑफ एग्जाम्पल्स सुपर ईजी टू अंडरस्टैंड विच रियली हेल्प वन यू नो ट्राइंग टू मेक अ ब्रेक अ हैबिट बिकॉज एज वी नो हैबिट्स आर हार्ड बट आई विल रीट्रेट समथिंग आई लर्न फ्रॉम द अनटेम बुक विच आई रेड जस्ट बिफोर दिस आई डेंट इट वॉज इन दैर इन एनी ऑफ द एग्जाम्स आई रेड but one of the main points of the book that you take away is that most of the things we do are hard but that's the thing we can do hard things this was something that was constantly reiterated in glennon doyle's book and that's something that you find in this book as well habits are hard but the implications of what will happen if you don't change those habits are much much worse than the effort you need to put into change yourself and then the last paragraph i'll be reading says that the cues that spark our habits become so common that they are essentially invisible the treats on the kitchen counter the remote control next to the couch the phone in our pocket our responses to these cues are so deeply encoded in us that it may feel like the urge to act comes from nowhere for this reason we must begin the process of behavior change with awareness i'll end this work here again reiterating this work is atomic habits now on to our next book on to our next book which is psychology of money by morgan hussel and the first page of this book like I can't even tell you guys it just blew my socks off and I read this out to my mom after reading this book and she was like what like it's such a fabulous start so it reads my favorite wikipedia entry begins Ronald James Reed was an american philanthropist investor janitor and gas station attendant he was born in rural vermont He was the first person in his family to graduate high school, made all the more impressive by the fact that he walked to campus every day. For those who knew Ronald Reed, there wasn't much else worth mentioning. His life was as low-key as he come. He fixed cars at a gas station for 25 years and swept floors for 17 years. He bought a 2 BHK for $12,000 at age 38 and lived there for the rest of his life. He was widowed at age 50 and never remarried. His main hobby was chopping firewood. He died at the age of 92 which is when the humble rural janitor made international headlines. 2,800,013,503 Americans died in 2014. Fewer than 4,000 of them had a net worth of over 8 million when they passed away. In his will the former janitor left 2 million dollars to his stepkids and more than 6 million to his local hospital and library. Those who knew him were baffled. Where did he get all that money from? It turned out there was no secret. There was no lottery win and no inheritance. Reed saved what little he could and invested it in blue chip stocks. Then he waited for decades on end as tiny savings compounded into more than eight million dollars. That's it, from janitor to philanthropist. A few months after Ronald Reed died, another man named Richard was in the news. Richard Fuscone was everything Ronald Reed was not. He was a Harvard-educated Merrill Lynch executive with an MBA. Fuscone had such a successful career in finance that he retired in his 40s to become a philanthropist. But then, like the gold coin skipping tech executive, everything fell apart. 
In the mid-2000s, Fascone borrowed heavily to expand an 18,000 square home in Greenwich, Connecticut. They had 11 bathrooms, 2 elevators, pools, 7 garages and cost more than $90,000 a month to maintain. Then the 2008 financial crisis hit. The crisis hurt virtually everyone's finances. It apparently turned Fuscones into dust. High debt and illiquid assets left him bankrupt. I currently have no income, he allegedly told a bankruptcy judge in 2008. Ronald Reed was patient. Richard Fuscone was greedy. That was all it took to eclipse the massive education and experience gap between the two. The lesson here is not to be more like Ronald and less like Richard, though that's not bad advice. The fascinating thing about these stories is how unique they are to finance. In what other industry does someone with no college degree, no training, no background or formal experience and no connections massively outperform someone else with the best education, best connections and most money? If you haven't guessed there already guys, this book is about finance, money of psychology by Morgan Hussell. And then the next excerpt I'm going to read to you is about everyone's favorite, Bill Gates. So basically this chapter is about the role of luck in money, in finances and how and this book is mostly about saving on what people do with their money and more interestingly it's on investing. So the excerpt reads that Bill Gates went to one of the only high schools in the world that had a computer. The story of how it got there is remarkable. But that's not what this is about. So um, I'm just gonna go over this and skip to the part which talks about luck. A little quick map. In 1968, there were roughly 303 million high school aged people in the world. About 18 million of them lived in the United States. 270,000 lived in Washington state. 100,000 lived in the Seattle area. And only 300 of them attended Lakeside School. Start with 303 million, end with 300. One in a million high school age students attended the high school that had the combination of cash and foresight to buy a computer. Bill Gates happened to be one of them. And Bill Gates is not shy about what this meant. If there had been no school for him, that particular school, which he calls Lakeside, there would have been no Microsoft, he told the graduating class in 2005. Gates is smart, hardworking, and as a teenager had a vision for computers that even the most seasoned computer executives couldn't grasp. But he had the one in a million head start by going to school at Lakeside, you know, at Lakeside High School, which had one of the only computers in the US. So basically this talk this part talks about the point of luck that the role luck plays in finances and I think most of us just tend to throw to the side and think it's all about good decisions and another thing that is said in the book is that it's not always about making the best decisions most of the time you need a reasonable decision and you need to be really close with your finances if you get what i'm saying i will let you guys read this on your own i can't reveal everything can i on to our next excerpt when judging others, attributing success to luck makes you look jealous and mean, even if we know it exists. And when judging yourself, attributing success to luck can be too demoralizing to expect. <laughs> it's kind of funny in my opinion. And then 
वन ऑफ द मोस्ट इंस्पायरिंग पार्ट ऑफ दिस बुक आई वुड लाइक टू से इज वेन दिस ऑथर टॉक्स अबाउट द कॉन्सेप्ट ऑफ इनफ यस वन ऑफ द मोस्ट आई थिंक इनक्रेडिबल पार्ट ऑफ दिस बुक वेयर आई हैवेंट फिनिश्ड दिस बुक येट कंप्लीट सो बेसिकली नेक्स्ट the next excerpt i'm going to read is one of the most inspiring parts of this book so it basically says that rajat rajat gupta was born in kolkata and orphaned as a teen people talk about how the privileged few begin life on third base gupta couldn't even see the baseball stadium and basically in the end him and rajaratnam another investor him and rajaratnam grew up to be very successful businessmen who had billions to their names but both of them went to prison for insider trading their careers and reputations irrevocably ruined so basically the question that comes out of this is why would gupta and ravaratnam why would why would they someone worth hundreds of millions of dollars be desperate for more money that they risked everything in pursuit of even more what gupta and Rajaratnam did is something different. They already had everything: unimaginable wealth, prestige, power and freedom. And they threw it all away because they wanted more. They had no sense of enough. And I think that's something that everyone needs to get into their heads. Just the concept that sometimes you need to understand that you do have enough. People say more than often that be happy with what you have. and i feel that kind of undermines what you have like kind of undermines what you have by saying that it feels that you're compromising when you say be happy with what you have i think people really need to deep down understand that what they have is enough and morgana sell also mentions in this book and you know something that i really felt in my life which i remembered when i was actually going to spend money that i had to choose between this expensive lotion that i kind of wanted like internally and this mediocrely priced lotion which was also really nice but i kind of wanted the expensive one cuz you know it was it was like you know this really nicely scented and it was such a pretty bottle but then me in the supermarket literally thought back to what was written in this book in one part of this book which i haven't read which i will leave to read up to you guys and it basically says that you can spend money like when you spend money you can either have the thing or have the money you can't have both and basically the thing about in buying expensive things is that suppose you see someone with a with a car that costs like 100000 the only thing about them that you know is that like you don't know if they're rich someone could have got that getting money from somewhere or the other they don't have to be rich to buy an expensive car the only thing you know about someone who has a 100000 dollar car is that they are a 100000 dollars poorer and that statement hit me then and it hit me then in the supermarket like do i need to buy this you know really expensive scented lotion when this mediocrely priced lotion is just as great and like you know it's these lessons that really hit you like you know in places like the supermarket that just really get you through life and which are in my opinion the best and there are so many in this book 
which have hit me time and time again, which have rocked my world, shook my marbles, whatever you guys want to say. And I hope these excerpts really kind of got you excited. I hope they piqued your interest. And I'll end this podcast saying that I don't really have much more to say. I have defended my point and now it's up to you guys if you want to change your life. Do you want to remain stagnant? Do you want to give yourself the resources that the world has put out for you? That the internet has put out for you? That the libraries and your colleges have put out for you? And signing off on this podcast, this was a really nice episode. This is this is this is our longest episode till date but still i hope you guys love it as much as i did i really genuinely hope this helps you get into the habit of reading whatever form it may be you may start off by only reading poetry or you may start off reading self help it's up to you guys i cannot tell you what to do but i genuinely hope the best for you bye guys i'll see you next week with new episode bye